Before we get going into your Hockey IQ podcast episode, I want to thank our sponsor, Rapid Shot. Rapid Shot is the smart shooting lane. Uh, it's like a batting cage for hockey players. Very cool. Tracks your shot in three ways. Accuracy, shot speed, and reaction time. Uh, easy to use. Uh, actually, I used it when I played and was growing up. Very easy. Simply scan your phone in, select your settings, and start shooting. Uh, you can see your stats on the app and online. And you can check them out at rapidshot.com. Uh, great small business. I actually grew up with one of the owner's sons and have played with all the family members by now. Uh, just in local pickups here in Ohio. Very cool local business. Awesome product. I love it. I know quite a few NHLers have them in their homes. Uh, a lot of D1 programs have it at their rinks. So you have to check this out. Rapidshot.com. Check it out. Rapidshot, thank you so much for sponsoring our podcast. That was a uh, wonderful episode, Dan. Uh, I'm excited to share this with everyone. I, I think this was absolutely uh, groundbreaking for some people. Uh, I definitely learned some things. Uh, easily the most notes I've taken so far. Uh, Ted, Ted was wonderful to talk to. Uh, there was so much. I don't even know where to start on, on what the takeaways all were. I'm going to have to digest this before I fully uh, form some thoughts. Yeah, super interesting guy. Tons of experience. Um, you know, he's played and coached in so many different countries and leagues that He's just got a ton of, you know, wealth of experience and he's kind of seen it all. And I think the thing I appreciate the most is that he's, he's not afraid at all to let his, um, you know, his methods evolve over time. I think that's something that's really easy to just kind of get stuck in a rut and just do the same thing year in year out. But Ted has managed to stay fresh and, um, you know, stay one step ahead, I think. And that's what's made him so successful. So I, I had a great time chatting with him. Yeah. And I love the idea that he had of empowering his players, letting go, um, just kind of sitting back and allowing them to find their own path and what's best for their development, having that two-way street. I think that kind of gets lost. And uh, But it's, it starts with understanding your players first and foremost. And I can tell he does a great job of that and went deep, even asking us questions before we started recording. For sure. You know, one of the hardest things I think as a coach is you, you're an authority figure, but you almost want the – you do want the players to kind of take onus and I don't want to say run the show because that has like a bad connotation, but at the end of the day, this is about them. This is about their development, and I think that the sooner we can all realize that, you know, the players are the ones that should kind of drive the bus here and, and we're just there to provide um, – you know, a safe and effective learning platform, the, the better off hockey will be. Couldn't agree more. That's, that's why I have my coffee game every year. Players get all of the ownership. They do it all. They, they fill up the score sheet. They make the lines, changes, who's power play, who's PK. Uh, could, couldn't have more fun with it. Um, and you just sit there with a cup of coffee. It's, it's a great day. Just watching <laughs> hockey like, like we all love to do. That's right. That so, sounds like a lot of fun. All right. So let's get to it. Here we go. Ted Soikinen. All right. Welcome to the podcast, Ted. Glad to have you. I know Dan and I are both excited to finally connect with you. Uh, I'm a big fan of your Twitter, so <laughs> I, I know you're active over there, and, and we love the ideas that you're throwing out there, especially your passion about Hockey IQ, so happy to have you on. I appreciate, uh, Greg, you and Dan having me on the podcast. I listened to a few of your episodes before, and I'm big fans of you guys, so um, very honored to be with you today. 
Absolutely. So let's uh, start maybe with the people who haven't heard of you. Uh, I think you're a big guy in our circle, but f- for people who haven't been in that circle before, um, maybe some of your pat, you know, why you're passionate about hockey IQ, where this kind of came from, and then maybe uh, some lessons you've learned from each of your stops along the way and, and what those are. Yeah, I'm kind of what you would say well-traveled, right? <laughs> so <laughs> born, in, born and raised in the States, obviously in, in Minnesota, um, hockey country there. And, uh, you know, played my time in the USHL, was up in Alaska and turned professional over in Europe for a few years. And then when I retired, I decided to come back to America and uh, start my coaching career under a good mentor, uh, Steve McSwain. And then I had Corey Millen also um, was one of my coaching mentors. He was just getting done with the game. And then, you know, it's like what happens uh, with everything. You meet a girl and all that, and you end up (laughs) in an area where, you know, your pro career started. So I ended up back in Sweden and, you know, was coaching over, over there in Norway, Germany, Switzerland, and now I'm, you know, landed in, in Russia. So it, it's kind of fun because you, you can take all the different experiences from all the different areas and the game of hockey never really changes. But what you do, what you do see is you see how the different environments of different cultures really affect um, what you're going to be seeing in player development. And over here in Europe, they're really all about like trying to make the whole player, like the holistic player, everything's organic and and they want him to be well-rounded or her well-rounded where in the States and everything else that I could see there was, it's a lot more specialized, especially with all like the, the triple A's, the double A's that you're starting to see this popping up everywhere with the tournaments where over in Europe, you still see that the kids are still playing other sports, whether that be soccer or, you know, basketball and some different ones there. So as when it comes down to the hockey IQ part, I've always been an educator. Um, I always like school and all that kind of good stuff. And what I'm seeing is that we're looking at the physical body all the time and how much more can we get into the physical part? Like how much better are we going to keep getting in that sense when you're starting to see the speed of the players where now it's going to start being inside the brain because that's an untapped space at this moment. So we have to be able to see what we can unlock for the future to help make the players become, you know, quicker thinkers, which is just going to enhance their skills in the game anyway. Have you experienced any sort of uh, language barriers or like how, how does that work? Cause you mentioned that hockey's the same, no matter where you go. And I think that's one of the coolest things about the sport, but I'm just curious what that experience has been like for you. Well, it was fun because going, you know, being in Sweden and uh, coaching in Norway, I call them like little Americas. Um, it's, it's just the truth. Like all TV, everything is in English. You just have the uh, subtitles in Swedish or Norwegian, same, same in Finland. Um, all the kids start learning how to speak English in the first grade and seventh, uh, when they're seven years old. So the language barriers in those countries, there is none, uh, really, but coming to Russia, it's funny because the language barrier, it's tough because they don't speak English that well here. And I always have to be around with my translator on the ice. But when you get on the ice with the guys and you're speaking hockey terms, it quickly, you know, you, you quickly get in that zone and they understand you, whether you're just trying to show, or you're just talking and you're with the hand movements, they start to understand it very quick. That's cool. Um, what are your thoughts about creating a developmental environment for players? Well, if you go back to, I don't know exactly how old you guys are, but I'm going to date myself. I'm be 43 here. So 
when we when we go back to uh, when I was growing up and everything else, we had so much free play, and that was everything. Like you had the different seasons, whether you were playing in hockey season, you play hockey, and then in the summer, as soon as it became nice outside, uh, at least up in northern Minnesota, we'd be playing baseball. And even if we didn't play football or whatnot, we were still playing that with our friends. So you're always, that free play was always there. And especially during the winter, our parents never had to pay for ice. We never had to go to like special camps. We never had any of that. But what we did, we had all the outside ponds. And we were always out there playing with the neighborhood kids or whoever was going to be coming on the ice. It didn't matter which age limit they were. And I think for the development side of that, we've really lost that. We've, we've lost touch on that because everybody wants instruction, instruction, instruction. And when we instruct too much on, on kids or on adults or whatnot, we start computing them into being, we're, we're doing their thinking for them where they're not being creative anymore. And we're, we're taking away whatever their natural abilities are. And we're trying to make it into what we think would be textbook. Couldn't agree more on that. I always had the frustration of, of kids almost like following you to the T too much. Like I want them to question me a little bit and have some more questions because like you said, it's, it's all about being creative and problem solving. Um, that was my favorite part of the game is, is a forward. Mm. Um, but when you look at it, like I, I think I had a tweet out there last week and then uh, John Lonsberry uh, made a subtweet on it, which was absolutely perfect. And I was talking about how we as coaches, sometimes we give so many directions that we start making them robotic. But at the same time, that also comes from home, right? It starts at the home with the kids about can't do this, don't do that, no, 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 all the time. And I have to always catch myself because I have a seven-year-old and we need them to be free thinkers. We need them to figure things out on themselves. Like don't touch the stove, obviously it's hot, right? Look both ways when you're going to cross the road because they have to start to understand why. And I think that's the same thing that when it comes to the hockey rink, um, we want everything to be perfect because if it's perfect in that sense, that means that everything's going to flow. And we don't want to see chaos because if we see chaos, then we get into that mental thinking that mom and dad are watching practice and it doesn't look good. They don't think that their kids are developing. So we try to really form fit everything. And what we need to be able to do is sometimes take that step back because the learning process, you really can't see what's happening inside that brain. You don't know how hard they're working upstairs and that, that mental bandwidth that's happening. And at the same time, what you're talking about that question area is as a coach, too many, a lot of kids are scared to approach the coach because, you know, they've been told so many times to do things. So they get a little bit, you know, taken aback. So they're trying to be a pleaser where we want to be open, where, they can come in and talk to us and, and give us and express their feelings about different things. Because when they're able to do that, that's when we're going to be able to say, okay, Hey, maybe try it this way. Or let's, let, let's take your, let's take your example and go for it. Let's see how it works out. You know, like it's a two way street. I agree. I even have a coffee game. I, I call it kids run the entirety of the bench. I just sit back there with a coffee I don't drink coffee, but you can imagine I do tea right. and they just run everything. So it's, it's my favorite game of the year because, you know, too many men penalties are pretty much guaranteed. Someone's going to screw up a line change. Uh, oh, do we have four forwards now instead of 3D or 2D? What are we doing? So I, I think that chaos is actually important. I actually have some drills that are like passing chaos, skating chaos. So I, I think mm -hmm. creating that chaotic environment is great because 
they got to start scanning. They're forced to communicate. And if they don't, it looks terrible, um, which I find humorous. I almost want to have that because it tickles my funny bone a little bit, but it's also great for a learning environment. Well, that's true. And like when you're playing your coffee game, what's, what's the reaction of the kids on the bench or the guys, well, like, or the girls, what, what's their reaction? Are they having fun? Are they engaged? Oh, so much fun. Too engaged. I mean, until they start losing, maybe because they're taking too many penalties for little things like that, but they're up in arms and, you know, those kids that want to be leaders are starting to do that. And uh, you you can actually just learn a lot just by sitting back and observing, uh, which I think is the best part about coaching and where we want to get to is having that observational uh, sense of it rather than so much instructing, Uh, just give them the tools and let them figure it out. Well, that's right. Because now you're, you're, you're putting the power, you're empowering the players to actually take control. And that's the thing. Like when we sit there on the bench, like if we're, we're a bench coach for the team, you can't control what's happened on a five on five game. You can't control what's happened on the power play. You, you, you want to, but you can't. The players are the ones that are in control. So the more that we can put them in control and empower them inside of a practice, the more they're going to be able to find solutions and, and decision-making inside the game that, that are going to be in line with whatever kind of structure we want for that team. I totally agree. I think that's one of the ironies of the way that a lot of coaches go about coaching practices now, or even games, everything's so, so structured. But then once you get into a game game environment and, you know, the players are experiencing something that is unique or, you know, they have to problem solve a new situation and you haven't given them the tools. Right. So I'm totally with you. I think that's awesome. Well, it's kind of funny, like we're, we're talking about this and I just ended up watching this documentary called Mission Control. It was about the Apollo um, space program on mm-hmm. Netflix. And they were talking about, uh, I think it was Apollo 11 and they're doing all these ground tests and all these different like 1202, 1201 radars were coming up and problems and they didn't know what it was, but the, the computer just kept screwing them up, all the guys in Mission Control. And what happened was they had to figure out why and what it was about. And then all of a sudden, as soon as they went up in space, they're trying to get the, 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 the space shuttle on the moon or around it. And all of a sudden, these ones started popping up. Then they had to find the solutions right away, but they already were in it because the computer already subsidized what they should be looking for. And then they had to problem solve on the ground to do it. And it just reminded me exactly about like how hockey is, right? Because we want them to problem solve, but if we keep giving them the answers all the time, like a five on old breakout, we want to go D D wing center. All right. That's great. That might happen once in a game, exactly that scenario. But what happens if it goes D to D wing to D back to the D out the other side on the weak side? Well, how are we making sure that those players are supporting and, and helping one another to be able to make these passing plays and go, well, then you have to sit there and look at, all right, so how do I put them in that environment during practice? It may not connect. We may get scored on in practice, but guess what? There's no scoreboard there. Nobody cares. Now you can sit there and you can step in and be like, all right, when you see this happening, what can we do? How do we fill lanes? How do we support one another? And now you start putting that power. You're not getting mad at them. You're just trying to work through the problems with them. So they might encounter it later where they're going to be um, safe and be able to be confident in there. I think that's huge of allowing them to find the solutions and ask the questions. Uh, I don't know. I don't, I don't want to be ever involved in a practice. I just want to be able to ask or create the environment and then ask the questions as it's going through and kind of observe. I think that's uh, critical. And um, I don't know how you've seen it, but 
definitely teaching a hockey IQ through the ages and kind of looking how the players age and their mental state uh, has been interesting uh, for me as a coach and, and how you kind of change the perception as you go along and the questions that you're asking for those players. Um, do you have an experience doing the younger guys or are you mostly with the older teams? I've had experience with the younger teams, you know, like um, doing camps, you're, you're with the younger guys. Uh, we have the young age groups and, and my son, like I jump out on the ice here and there with my son, who, like I mentioned earlier, is seven. And one of the things that you get into that debate is that they talk about, you can't teach tactics too early. And I, I know that gets floated around everywhere. You don't want to be teaching tactics and all that. And I always counter that as saying, why not? Why not? educate the kids about like what hockey tactics are what's a 2-1-2 what what is support what are all these different things that we do have what's man on man um and not saying that we're going to make them do it but let's let's give it to them let them absorb it let them start to understand it because as kids the youngest ages um they're they're sponges they can suck everything in and they're going to be able to use it to whenever they're going to see and feel the need to use it it's, and I always bring the example up um, of my kids, you know, we're a multilingual family and both kids, my daughter, she speaks five languages and my son speaks three and not one of them growing up had that formal training in Swedish and in English. Mom spoke Swedish. I spoke English. They just learned it. And when we came to Russia, you know, here in Yaroslav, there are no English speaking schools. So they got thrown into Russian schools right away. And at that time, my daughter was 10 years old and she got thrown in there and she just picked it up. My son got thrown in there, got thrown into hockey practices around Russian kids, picked it up and now they can speak it. They can understand it, everything else. So we don't give kids credit enough. I think sometimes where we need them to be able to solve problems. They're going to find the ways to do it if we allow them to. And I think giving them information that's, you know, sometimes a little bit structured is okay and not making them play structured, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. That's, that's first of all, that's incredible that your daughter and son speak five and three languages. I feel like so useless. Well, so uh, do I. <laughs> yeah, it just goes to, just goes to show you. Um, so I noticed, you know, looking at your like elite prospects page that you've been coaching in the MHL for a few years. That's for people who don't know, uh, a Russian top Russian junior league. What's been your experience like, um, with, you know, it's a high level of hockey and, uh, mostly I would imagine like 17, 20 year olds, right? Yes. So like my job here is I'm the, I'm the skill specialist for our MHLB, which would be like our under 18 or our MHLA, which is our top and then our KHL. So I work between all three teams and the directive from the, from the club is to make sure that we have enough kids coming in from our younger hockey school through our junior program and into the pro level. So I have to be able to sit there and, and work with these guys to get them ready to jump up. So it's also changed and has challenged myself to rethink the development of how do we do it? You know, like the old school is like, okay, let's, let's find this technique. Let's work on this technique. Let's get you good at that. And now hopefully you can put it inside your game. But the problem is, is that when you're trying to get guys to go from under 18 to under 20 and from under 20 up into the pro level is that techniques, not the thing that's going to make it there. Right. They got to be able to think and they got to be able to understand when they're going to use it and why they're using it. So they have to understand the game because just like any level that you're going in, every level is another step higher within the intensity and, and, and gameplay. So 
it's it's been a challenge uh, here, but the best part is is that the players have all bought into it. And we were talking quickly before you came on, Daniel, is that the communication. I think it's most important that I'm not the dictator. Like kids are so used to being dictated and players are used to being dictated all the time. I want them to understand what game that they have. So the faster that they can understand what kind of player they are, what kind of habits that they have, their identity, the easier it is for me to put the facilitation of a, of an environment together that's going to help them grow and actually, you know, enhance those identity and habits that they have as well as gain new skill sets that are going to put them at a different level when they get up. That's wonderful. I I love adding little tidbits and are are you finding yourself or how do you find yourself isolating which tidbits you want to add into someone's game or give them a new tool for the toolbox? Is is there a way you kind of go about that or using video? Um, Are you initiating it? Are they kind of initiating? Is there a back and forth? How, How does that operate for you guys? I think it's a two way street, right? So obviously there's a lot of video that we do. And I think video is one of the best teachers. I don't uh, necessarily believe that watching NHL video uh, for these guys is something that, that they need. They need, and I think all players at all age levels, if you're going to do video, they need to see themselves. You know, they need to have their own identity and each player is going to be unique. So what we do is we cut a lot, we cut their videos, we cut their shifts, and then we start looking and, and taking bits and pieces apart on that about finding out where their habits are, what areas of the ice that they like to be in, where do they turn the puck over a lot more at, you know, like different things. How can they become in better position for support? And then what happens is that we take that and then we facilitate it into the environment that we're going to have on the ice. So what you, what you can see with our players is that instead of having a big group, we cut these groups down, especially when we're working on skill development uh, between you know six to eight players. And then we group them, based on some similarities in their games so that we can work on different areas that they need to enhance. And what they do is when we do this to them, they can see that kind of work that we're putting in. The best part is that they come back to us as well and saying, okay, I feel this. Now I need to get this. Or how about if I add this to my game and how, how would that, you know, translate later? So that was a two way street where you're having that communication, but Video is probably the the best thing, but it has to make sense to the player. It can't just be random video like you want to add the some kind of new stick handling move or whatnot. That's not his game. Like it has to be something that's going to be within his skill set, and then add on top of that skill set that's going to be correlated. Yeah, no, that makes a ton of sense. And I think you're bang on with uh, the idea of adding to someone's toolkit and not trying to force something that's like not part of their game. It's, it's a a balance that, you know, something that I have to keep, you know, reminding myself of these players are all different. So, you know, they're going to be able to add different things at different times. Um, So I think you're exactly right. Um, What do you feel today that players, um, you know, this is kind of a blanket question, but like should be working on that they're not doing enough of? Oh, that is a blanket question. Thanks for that one. (laughs) But no, um, I I think if you're looking at the trends as of how everything's working today, you you see a lot of stick handling, you see a lot of skating drills, you see all these different things and everybody wants to be the full round package. They want to be that skilled player. And what I think is that, you're seeing a lot of kids that are becoming highly technically skilled. 
but what's happening is that they're highly technical skilled within isolated environments. So if that's at home and the kid's shooting pucks and he can rip every single corner, but he's standing, standing still doing it. So he looks beautiful when it gets posted on Instagram, but then also when he gets on the ice, every time he shoots, he's got to be standing still or he's got to be gliding into it and it's got to be picture perfect. And then they're passing up things. So one of the things I always tell players is you're going to work on your technical skills, no matter what off ice or on ice, but you got to put yourself into contextual, you know, a scenario where your feet are moving and you're going to let the puck rip somewhere. And you're, and you got to always be thinking about if I'm going to shoot from this position, where's that goaltender possibly going to be at? Am I off balance? Am I off balance a little bit? And, you know, just always putting yourself and challenge yourself to be, in different positions while you're trying to train things. It's that old saying, you know, repetition is repetition, but you want to have repetition without repetition. So how can I vary every shot? How can I vary every stick handle? And how can I start to visualize and imagine what I'm actually working on and how it's going to work inside of a game? Man, you speak to exactly how I used to train myself. It was like, all right, well, this is getting easy. How do I do it different? Yeah, shouldn't be. I should be in the NHL by now, but no. Um, <laughs> we all should. <laughs> and it, it kind of goes back. I, I feel like talking about those things, video, how you work on things. It's almost you, you get better at it after you quit playing. Yeah, I feel like I was a much better player the two years after when I actually started figuring out how to study the game, how to actually watch film. I feel like that's important. So I've been doing that with my group is teaching them how to break down a technique, how to watch film, you know, take your eyes off the puck. 99% of the time, the puck carrier is the most useless person on the ice. It's mm-hmm. everyone else that's then going to make it happen. Um, seems like you're, you're working a lot towards framing things mentally on how they should train themselves rather than so much on the technical side. Right. So, you know, like what's the big game that all the kids have out there now Fortnite, all the kids want to play oh, Fortnite. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, it, and what that is, is basically it's fantasy land, right? It, it's a fantasy land where the kids just get engulfed in it. And one of the things I always tell guys is like, if you can get engulfed inside of a video game in that sense, how can we not make hockey somewhat like that? Like, if you watch a normal kid who's five, who's six years old or whatever, you know, they're outside playing. They they got dinosaurs everywhere. They've erected like this huge castle. And we, as adults, we have to, you know, pretend that we're back in there. We have to get into that mind of the six-year-old. And what happens is, is that we take the creativity and that creativity and that imagination starts to go away as, as the kids get older. And then you become us and it's like, okay, that can't happen. But why can't it happen? So like when I talk to like young kids, when you're out in the driveway, imagine playing like you're in the Stanley Cup, you know, I, like what we used to do all the time when you're playing street hockey, you're, you're in the Stanley Cup, you're Wayne Gretzky, you're Mario Lemieux, you're doing these things. And the power of visualization, the power of imagination when you're out there by yourself can be very, very good for you, where you can be able to see and, and, and enact these different things out instead of just standing there and stick handling around two, two, um, pucks are laying down on the ground working on your figure eight stick handling well great your hands are getting better but once again your feet aren't moving your body's really not moving so how can you contextualize that and visualize how it's going to actually affect you in the game yeah absolutely 
I remember when I was a kid, I used to say that I was on a line with Sackick and Forsberg, but I never got the call. So no, <laughs> never got the call. I was uh, with Guy Carbonel back oh, in the old Montreal days. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So you've got you know a really interesting background with tons of experience with different ages, different countries. Even is there anything that you've kind of changed your mind about over the last few years? Yeah, I think the biggest uh, the biggest shift for me has been um, actually taking the control out of my hands and and putting the control back into the players' hands because I have to understand, and I think most coaches have to understand that. And we talked about it before. It's it's the players' game. So how can I be, just be a facilitator for that? How can I be an advocate to the player to be able to put them back inside of control at the same time, enhancing them to where they need to be at? Because at the end of the day, they're going to be the ones that are going to make it or break. It's not us as coaches that are going to do that. But what we can instill in them is we can instill the confidence. We can instill you know, that, that insight that they may need but we don't want to be that person that's going to be always that guy that's like, okay, this is why that failed. Now do it. Now fix it. We can't have them leaning on us that much. So the biggest thing for me has been the environment that I've created on the ice. Um, a lot of the drills have gone away from trying to manipulate different stick handling and, and shooting scenarios or passing scenarios to where it's going to look perfect to just being in that side of that controlled chaos. And then at the same time, taking a look at the video and saying, all right, how did you preset that? You understand why it failed? And what can we do different from the next time? And it's not going to be exactly the same, but it, it will be similar to it when they go back and try to do it again. So just basically for myself, uh, putting a lot more of the control back into the player's hands. That's awesome. And how, I feel like a lot of coaches struggle with this is almost the, if you, if you give them <clears throat> that environment, then just let them explore it. How do you speed up that process? And then being able to give them the tools without putting them in a box and they just go back to that exact same situation is almost finding that nice point to mesh the two of creating the environment where they're in charge and then giving them enough tools and expanding that uh, vision that they're going to have the problem solving selections that they have. Uh, do you have any thoughts on, on that and being able to make sure you got the right mix and you're not over controlling, but you're not giving it too free. So you're actually guiding them and speeding up this, this learning process. Well, I think that's all going to boil down to is how well do you know your players or your team? I mean, you can't go past that. I mean, if you're a U12 coach, you better know every single player on that team. You better know his strengths or her strengths and their weaknesses at the same time. And then when you're going to um, be making practices, how can I put constraints inside of that practice that I can actually take away to make it a little bit easier? So have a little bit more success rate. And then how can I make it a little bit more difficult as well to, to challenge them, to make them feel uncomfortable? And then put them in situations that they don't want to do certain things. How do I force them to get into that situation so that they can try to expand themselves? It's, it's not like there's not like a clear cut answer to any of it. It's just all experiment. And that's one of the things where as a coach, you have to be able to sit down there after practice and reflect on what you just had out there. Reflect on exactly what each player did. So that means you're going to be in tune with every player that you're on the ice with. Like, did Timmy do this? Did Johnny do that? 
where does Timmy rank on that? How do we, you know, enhance Johnny to get up to Timmy's rank, you know, because he's a little bit weak on his right side. And then you have to be honest with yourself. Like, okay, that wasn't a great practice. I screwed up. Okay. That that's my, that's my problem as a coach. I didn't do that. I didn't facilitate. So how do I, you know, rectify the next practice? So it's always that evolving process where you just can't sit there with basically what I call drill seekers that just want drills and they have that book that's already pre-planned for nine months. You, you can't have that. You can have an idea of the principles you want to work on, but you got to continually go back and evolve and then shift shape your, your practices to where your development of your team is at. And that's per player. That's so true. I, I, I hate it when I just have like perfect drills going. I, I want my practices to almost be screwed up. Um, and again, getting to that point where you're just almost like observing and you're able to make those tweaks on the fly. I think that's really powerful. And I mean, it took me a while to figure that out longer than I would have, would have liked, but uh, glad, glad I figured it out. Um, I mean, what, what do you think is the important part in coach education to get to that spot or maybe start with some background on, on how you educate uh, yourself and continue to go about educating yourself and finding those tools? Is it almost just doing it? Or are you finding external resources, pulling from other people? Um, how, how does that all work? Well, I think like all of us that are, that are in hockey, for example, we've all played at certain levels growing up. Right. And we, we fall in that passion, that love and everything else. So it doesn't matter which coach you had along the way, you're always going to pick up bits and pieces from them, whether they're good or whether they're bad. And that's how, you know, you, you get into that game and okay, I remember this is what my coach did, but the problem is when we start doing that is that every five years, even, even every year, what happened then is already outdated in a sense. And when you're looking back, if we grew up in the 80s and the 90s, all, that's outdated because the, the rules have changed. But at the same time, you got to be able to, as, as a coach, if you want to educate yourself, you got to look to other sports as well. I mean, you got to look at basketball, like when you had Phil Jackson and the, and the Bulls, they had the triangle offense. Well, if you look at hockey, we're all about triangles as well, right? So every time I have the puck, I should have two options to be able to pass at least. Right. So I, I got to be trying to figure out how I got triangles. You're starting to look at soccer. And uh, when you're looking at those guys, you see how much they, they possess the ball and how important that is in the game. Well, then you take a look back at all the way back in the old Soviet days when you had Tarasov and everything else, when, when, when the Soviets were crushing everybody. And, and they played a very positionalist game. They controlled the puck. They made sure that the rushes were good and they always were bobbing and weaving everywhere. So I think you have to be, if you're going to be a coach, I, I believe you have to study the game. You have to be a, a historian of the game to understand all the different time periods that we've gone through, right? So taking what was good in those time periods and trying to mesh them together and how that's going to work in the future, understanding what other sports are trying to do because any kind of invasion sport is going to help us anyway because they're just going to have different tactics. So how can those tactics you know, work for us and how can that development model work for us as well? And then it's all about, you know, all these different studies with uh, sports science, uh, skill acquisition, everything else there. There's, you know, everything on Google Scholar or whatnot, you know, download different things and, and, and read them and take what you believe is going to benefit you and, and get rid of the other stuff. You know, you, you have to be able to see what's going to fit you and what's going to fit your team. So I don't think it's an, it's a never ending process because, what happened today, like I said, tomorrow is going to be gone. So you got to figure out how, how we're going to continually build and evolve. 
I'm a huge soccer fan, so I uh, picked it up later in life because Akron, where I went to college, they won the national title the year I was there for my freshman year, so it got, got me into it. So I'm huge on, you know, as you're talking Barcelona, they got that tiki-taka, keep mm-hmm. possession, never give the ball away. Now you got Klopp with his gang and press, which is phenomenal, and Liverpool <laughs> seems to be a half-decent team these days. Yeah. So I, I think that's that's critical, learning from other sports, not just being so specialized in hockey, 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 but taking it from other areas. Uh, Dan and I are uh, friends with a gentleman named Jack Han, and uh, he always talks about this, taking from one area to translate to another and how that makes it easier for people to understand because, you know, they may know hockey, but if they're doing something else, like one of his big things was an icebreaker. Like, how Mm -hmm. do you sink an icebreaker? Well, you got to go to the bow and break it that way. So it's kind of an analogy for hockey is to make sure you need to get to the middle, attack that as a two on one. Uh, I, I love that kind of stuff. But it's funny, though, like when you bring that up, too, and Jack's a brilliant hockey mind. And uh, when I look at it from this sense is that, especially with all the publications in the United States, talking about multi-sport athletes, right? So we want them to play football. We want them to play baseball because they're going to get different things from everywhere else. Why can't we as coaches do the same thing? Why can't we go out to a lacrosse uh, practice and you know pick the brains of the lacrosse coaches what they're doing why can't we go out to a soccer practice do the same thing watch i mean if if our athletes are going to benefit from playing multi-sports obviously we as coaches also can benefit from understanding and educating ourselves about what they're trying to do in the other sports as well yeah that's that's really interesting that's a great point i want to talk about your players a little bit what what kind of onus do you put on the players to you know we can give them the tools or we hope to give them the tools, but what, what, what do we expect of them? What do you expect of them? Well, we expect greatness. <laughs> no, we, we expect them to, uh, to actually, you know, grow and we need them to grow. And this is one of the reasons why we started journaling with these guys. Um, doesn't matter. It's the same thing. Like if you go to school and it's, a teacher can only teach you so much. If you're not going to put the effort in to learn how to add or how to read and everything else like that, well, that's not the teacher's fault. It's, it's you as an individual. So I, I think it's the same thing in the coaching world. If, if we can honestly look in the mirror and say, we gave that player everything that we could, you know, a lot of the responsibilities got to drop back down on that player. So what we've done is uh, started up a, a journaling thing with all of our players. And, you know, it's, I talked about with TJ, uh, but you're taking what you're having on practice and you're going to write down your key points. And there's always going to be key points that you're going to remember. That's going to be, you know, important for yourself. And we want them to write that down. And then we want them to see like when they go into their regular practice, like did those things translate? Did you use anything in there? And if you didn't, can you reflect back on your practice and see, Hey, could I have, and then write it down. And then we can look at it. And then the same thing goes into the game. So like um, one of the things that we talk about with players, and I'm sure all of you guys, uh, both of you guys have uh, experienced it, but when you played the game's over, doesn't matter if you win or lost, but in your head, before you're trying to get to sleep at night, you're always going over the mistakes you made. You're never remembering that great stuff that you ever did. You just sit there and you're like, Oh, why did I make that pass? Oh, if I had a shot just a little bit earlier, I, you know, and it just keeps you up all night, especially like in when you're playing college hockey, it's Friday, Saturday night games. So, so now you got to get some sleep that's going to be happening. And it doesn't. 
So one of the things that we talk about is write it down. The minute you get it outside your brain and it's physically down on paper, it's out. It's, it's outside. You, you, there's nothing else about it. Now it's physical. So now it's there and now you can look back at it tomorrow. But at the same time, I have the guys write down three parts because it's usually about three or four times, but three areas where you could have done better, a mistake that you made. But then I want them at, at, right after that are three positive things that you did in that game. So when it gets written down, I want them to end that night on a positive. And then we relook at it the next day. And when you look at it the next day, those, those negative things are, okay, you know, it just happened. It was what it was. But all of a sudden, when you can start to write things down, you start becoming a lot more of an owner of your own game. I've been journaling every day for the last year and a half. Like I had never done it before then. And it's, it's incredible how much it changes the way that you perceive. You're right. Like it, as soon as you have your thoughts on paper, I do it online, but as soon as you have your thoughts out of your, out of your head and on a ledger, it's mm-hmm. crazy how it's like so freeing and you can really allow yourself to kind of move past it. And also like selfishly, it's also a great way to be able to catalog, you know, like good days, bad days and, kind of reflect in hindsight. So I'm with you. I think that's, that's fantastic. Um, we have a note here that you, uh, parents are not allowed to watch practice. Is that current? Is that like it for the MHL teams or, uh, it's for like everybody. it's for everybody. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, our, yeah. So last year, our under sevens are my, 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 my kids team, yeah. um, parents in, in our club here from under six, all the way through, they're not allowed to watch practices. I love that. There's a – I was talking to my buddy. I don't know if you guys uh, – Dave Laszlo. He, he coaches – he's an American guy. He coaches in um, Norway. Just and talked to him to, yesterday. <laughs> and they're talking about it because now during COVID times that the parents can't be in the, in the arenas at this moment. So he's like, how do we continue this because it's so freeing as a coach? So I go, well, you could do what we do here. So – in our rink, all of our practices are videoed. It doesn't matter what age group, everything's videoed for our coach of coaches that are going to go through it with the, you know, during their meetings. But there's a old TV that sits inside the lobby and it streams the practice. So the parents can watch it, but I'll tell you what, you can't tell which kid is yours on the ice. You can't see anything. You can't hear anything. And I mean, I think parents are vital and you can't put their vital part to our game. They are. And, but you never see a parent inside of a school. When the kid's in school, the parent doesn't sit in the classroom with them when they're going to school. And I think, I think it's the same thing where when we're looking at hockey, I think hockey has got to be looked more like an educational system at the same time. We're educating them in sport. We're educating them in different areas of life, you know, teamwork and all that. And I think that a coach can be a lot more freer with the way he's going to coach and, and interact with his team and the drills that he's going to do and communicate with them. If he's not always looking over his shoulder to see what parents are talking about, or if they're on the bench and they're, you know, all that other good stuff that happens with parents or you didn't talk to Timmy enough today. Oh, why did Johnny get so much attention? Oh, why did you make that pass? Why did you cut that rep short? You know, it's like, for us, our coaches, they're a lot more free. And what you see is that the, the kids is the best part. Because once the kids get dropped off and they get in that locker room, it's like, it's fun time for them. That's right. 
Oh, it's been great at our, our local rink. The kids are way more talkative and interactive with each other now. I, I don't know if it's like, oh, I'm with my parents, but now it's just you drop them in. And, oh, it's, it's been a great experience, uh, you know, obviously as a coach, but even better for the kids, I feel like during COVID times is as much, you know, it's annoying to have the masks and all of that. Yeah. Uh, but it, it's, it's been cool. I don't know. Is there an area you, you love about coaching in Russia more than most? Yeah. Uh, like it, it, it's weird to say, like, I, I, I think of Russia as home right now. I, I really do. Like, um, but the respect that you have from kids of all ages and not just myself being a foreigner in the club, I'm talking all the other coaches as well is like when, when a coach comes in there, all the kids always come up and they're always like, Drasvice. they all come up, they shake the coach's hand every age level and when the when the practice is over they're all coming up and giving you fist bumps like placebo and all that good stuff saying thank you and what you see here with the russian kids is that they're very appreciative for everything very appreciative you you see some of the kids with like the beat up skates and you know like the the beat up sticks and stuff like that because you know, it, it is an expensive sport and a lot of parents don't have that kind of uh, money, especially here in Russia, to be able to do everything. But the kids are so appreciative of everything. And when they're on the ice, they're very attentive. You blow the whistle here, doesn't matter which age group. You blow the whistle, there's no pucks being flown around anywhere. They're they're right at you so quick. And mind blown. Absolute mind blown. <laughs> I... Like my, my son, he's, he's off the wall from time to time. Like he's his own personality. And I'm like thinking to myself, I'm like, this isn't going to be good. And, you know, the, I, I go out on the ice. I was helping him a little bit the first couple of years uh, out there just because of language and making sure he was okay. And I was helping the other guys on the ice. But the minute that, that whistle blew and he watched the other kids go to the coach and weren't screwing around the pucks, boom, he was right there with them. And it's just when you're in Sweden, like, you know, Swedish, they have great hockey system and everything else, but the culture here is just different. And I, I really like it. It's, it's a little bit of discipline, but at the same time, they have their own personalities and everything else, just like everywhere else. But it, it's a disciplined, uh, disciplinary uh, environment. No, that's wonderful. Um, well, we're approaching some time here. I want to make sure that this is a good time length. <laughs> And I think we have so much more to unpack with you. So we're gonna have to have you back on at some point. Um, hopefully everything's back to normal and you're back on the rink, having no issues again, and your family's able to come back. Um, but at this time, I, I like to give two minutes, anything you want to talk about, anything you want to plug, it is all yours. Floor is open. <laughs> no, you know, like I, I remember reading the emails, you're talking about plugging something like, you know, it's, in a couple months, I'm going to have a, a coaching mentorship uh, group, like a mastermind group that I'm going to be putting together starting in October uh, for coaches. So we have like a learning environment that's going to be coming together off my website, uh, soikinandhockey.com. And at the same time in, in uh, October, we'll be uh, starting up a player mentorship as well, trying to help kids understand how to read video, their own videos, see their own games and giving them tips so that they have somebody else that's an advocate outside their normal coach and everything else. But at the same time, I was abiding by the rules so that they can fit into any kind of game. But my biggest thing for everybody that's out there is I think that no matter what is 
start to try to lose a little bit of the control, the little bit of a grip that you have. And most importantly, and I can't say it enough, but actually try to understand every player that you have, understand what the level you have, where they're at developmentally and, and put them in environments that's going to be creative. It's going to be fun. It's going to be challenging because no matter how much technical skill that you work with the player is, if they're not making decisions, they're not becoming skillful because technique is technique. How you use that technique with inside of a game, that's real skill. And how you use your teammates is even more skill. Well said. So it's like you practiced it almost. Right. Uh, <laughs> no, I didn't practice that one. <laughs> no, wonderful. Well, thanks again, Ted. Really appreciate you taking the time here to come on with us. Uh, Dan, you got anything? No, that was a lot of fun, Ted. Thanks for your insights. I had a good time. Thank you. Thank you guys so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. Thank you for tuning into the Hockey IQ podcast. We are Hockey's Arsenal, Greg Rivak and Dan Ducart. Together, we've come together to create a platform and a community to expand our hockey intelligence, hockey IQ, whatever you want to call it. Uh, we're very passionate about seeing this game played smarter and better and continue to develop itself uh, to the next level and staying on the cutting edge of things. So you can find us at Hockey's Arsenal on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. We're also at hockeysarsenal.com. Uh, from there, you can find some resources and some options to work with us. We're excited to continue this. If you enjoyed this episode, please like, subscribe, follow, and share. Uh, you can also join up for our newsletter as well, where we're going to tackle anything Hockey IQ related. So we're excited to have everyone here and continue to build. That concludes this week's episode. Thanks for joining us here at Hockey IQ. If you haven't already, take a quick moment to hit that subscribe button, give us a thumbs up, and drop a review. If you want to be a great teammate, even recommend us to a friend. You can follow us at Hockey's Arsenal on Twitter and Instagram. Check out the website, hockeysarsenal.com, where you can subscribe to the weekly newsletter. You won't regret it. Catch a Buttes here next week for a brand new episode.